What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Tuesday, July 27th, 2021, and this week's episode, Pitbull vs. McKee, The King vs. The Next Generation. We'll start by recapping UFC Vegas 32 and the very controversial Bantamweight main event between Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news, Rachel Ostovich defeating Paige Van Zandt and what that means for the future at Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, the addition of two um, title fights and a move to free TV for UFC 267, the announcement of Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington 2 at UFC 268, the latest in PFL, Invicta, and the recently announced fight between Douglas Lima and Michael Venom Page for the second time. And we'll cap it off with a preview. We'll talk Uriah Hall versus Sean Strickland in the UFC. And the title of this week's episode, the highly anticipated featherweight fight between Tricio Pitbull, Freira, and AJ McKee. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. A lot on the uh, on the old agenda today, so uh, I don't want to waste your time with any uh, any small talk. We can jump right into it. I mean, I feel like the small talk is the show, right? That's what we do it. Um, let's get right into this main event. Um, five rounds. I think I'll be honest. I don't think many people actually expected it to go the full twenty-five minutes going into it. And then when you saw the way the fight was playing out, I don't think people expected. 25 minutes especially as we were going into that second round so the fact that it went the distance actually gives us a lot to digest um the biggest things i took from it um we could get into a lot of the x's and o's but i think the short story is that i personally felt that Corey sanhagen got the cleaner shots fist to face more often in that fight i do think what essentially won the fight for tj in those close rounds so to speak were the fact that he was pushing forward was the fact that he was still staying active um i believe it was the fourth and fifth round that essentially the judges were split on i thought the fifth should have gone to Corey. i know that the judge i believe there's one judge that gave the fourth to dillashaw and one gave it to sanhagen and that's essentially what won the fight for tj but I thought that fifth round could have gone to Corey. I thought the fourth round definitely should have gone to Corey. Um, I will say it was a competitive fight. There were some moments that uh, Corey Sanhagen just kind of gave positions to TJ. And we could get into that. But I thought Corey did enough. I feel like the judging, you know, there were a couple question marks. The Miranda Maverick one, most, uh, most people are pointing to. But... TJ send sorry TJ Dillashaw walks away with the victory. What were your thoughts? I, I thought TJ looked um, fine physique wise. His legs like doubled in size. So so me here I'm like looking at you know I'm I'm looking at it from a different perspective. Just like how's he going to perform and all that stuff. Um, he was basically the same old TJ except less less bouncing around right less less footwork action. But the same, generally the same fighter with that weird hand over the eyebrow thing. So I thought Corey looked great. I thought TJ looked good. And I was, you know, watching him thinking, okay, his confidence is high. Like he's not being deterred by the controversy that's still lingering in the air around his cheating. 
what I didn't like was the way he, you mentioned it, the, the, the wall install, like pushing Corey against the wall, round after round, holding him there, doing very little damage, causing very little damage. I actually, on the on first watch, thought he did win, because primarily because of that tactic. I'd have to watch it again uh, to see what seems like a leaning towards consensus that actually it should have gone to Corey. Um, I was disappointed that Corey didn't get the win. I feel like, yeah, he, and he said it himself, he could have done more, a little more aggression. He's just being a little too patient, I think, with TJ Dillashaw against the, the cage there. So all in all, interesting fight. I thought, you know, as a side note, the cut on TJ's eye, I really did think that could have been enough to stop the fight because of how close it was to the eyelid. I'm really surprised that that, that didn't do it. And, uh, you know, if you look at damage, and that doesn't always tell the whole story, but if you look at damage to the face, TJ definitely was worse for the wear. So, of course, Hans Sanhagen was landing the cleaner shots right on the money. And, uh, you know, is this worth a rematch? Probably not. Who's going to benefit more from this? Like, Corey's still a hot prospect in the division, and TJ is a former champion, but I think TJ's always going to be mired with that controversy, you know, and, and maybe... Maybe the fans will be less inclined to see him move his way up to the top. I don't know. But the UFC, how are they going to how are they going to treat it? You know, he's a former champion and they want to put they make that poster with the guy that has a belt, you know, that used to wear a belt on the on the poster, right? So so maybe he'll get movement from this. I don't know. Um, all in all it was a fine fight, but I'm I'm very curious to see who gets the better fight next. Is it going to be Corey or is it going to be TJ? Probably TJ. Anyway, what did you think about the cut? I'm just very curious. Uh, I agree with you. I, I thought it's like, I feel like we've seen cuts kind of, I feel like we've seen a couple just kind of get stopped that were in quote unquote a better position. Yeah, like um, Nate Diaz. Yeah, well, I mean, Nate, uh, Nate gets two more cuts on that corner and he's going to have a piece of meat fall off of his face. Well, yeah. Which I, I did not think the day that I we did our show and reviewed it, but when I had a few days later to watch it, I was like, Oh, yeah, his face was just going to keep cutting until, you know, the perforation just came off and it's like saw. But, um, yeah, I think that first uh, I'll give TJ this first round before the knee injury looks fantastic. I was like, my goodness, he is really doing what he needs to. Uh, once again, Corey's patience. And you saw that a little bit. I mean, he sets up the flying knee to the inverted triangle attempt, which, yeah. by the way, imagine if he completed that, we would have been. It would have been the best finish since Yair back elbowed the zombie. Um, so I give credit that I think that Corey felt comfortable that he was getting the better of these exchanges. And he would scramble out. He was so unorthodox, but he was getting out of it. He was reversing TJ and all that. And uh, I'll be honest, I think that's what gave away the critical third round, which, uh, you know, TJ is hurt. Sanhagen wins the second. And then in the third, it just feels like, you know, he turned his back and then TJ got him against the fence and killed the clock. Then Corey went for the takedown and TJ reversed it. And I'm like, all of that, uh, that cost, if you ask me, that was what cost Corey the fight. I think that, you know, the rounds that TJ was pushing, but then Corey was landing, I felt like that could have gone either way. But I felt in particular the third round, that critical error really was what it came down to he couldn't fix the judging but i thought inside the cage those were two errors that really cost the round in what ended up being a close fight so 
Um, once again, I did think Corey had done enough in the fourth and fifth, but, you know, is what it is. Uh, in terms of the fight, I will say that TJ doesn't come off looking like the scary monster going into the rematch between Peter Jan and Aljo that yeah. we just got reported, essentially. But, um... I think that's the key is that, okay, you know, is there a big rush to have this fight? No. If anything, you have people saying, well, I don't think TJ won the fight and he was a cheater anyway. And we know how these things play out in real time when they get announced. So I think that's one thing that's going to happen. I know Corey said he got the pinky promise from Sean Shelby that he's still just one fight away and... I think that he should immediately be looking at how soon can he try to get a shot at Rob Font, who just beat Cody Garbrandt, and TJ's going to wait for a title shot. Why shouldn't he? I mean, you know, at this stage of his career, he just lost two years. You don't want to take a risk you don't have to. So if you know you already got the title shot locked in, I mean, if you can wait a little bit, why wouldn't you for a title fight? I think that's just common sense at this stage of the game for him but yeah i predict sanhagen will get a fight with rob font next and tj is gonna see just how long it does take to see peter jan and the peter and aljo winner come back to action it kind of stinks that i think tj would get a title shot right away but that's sort of how the ufc works and he's a former champion and there's a lot of drama surrounding his you know his career and his future in the UFC right like just a lot of intrigue people want to know what's going to happen next man personally I don't feel like he deserves a title shot anytime soon but I know how I know how the how the world works and how the show must go um but yeah that's a bummer oh well whatever. I, I'm with you I think the thing is at the end of the day it's like uh, we are taking his word for it. I haven't seen USADA or someone post about USADA say, oh, yeah, his old tests were clean. You know, like we're taking his word that, oh, yeah, the only time he did use it was the Cejudo fight. Um, I think UFC just sees it as, look, this is the bandweight division. TJ got caught, confessed, served his time, so to speak, with a suspension. And, you know, what else... You know, one more do you want us to do to him? Yeah, you what know? else do we do we need to yeah, do? Yeah, exactly. So the I system think, works is probably what Dana White would say. We caught him, it works. So. I mean, they punished him, right? I mean, it's yeah. like, do you want to keep punishing him? Uh, it's a slippery slope. And, and I'll say this. I, I When I heard like Cejudo bring it up, it's like, this isn't Barry Bonds taking steroids to hit a baseball. MMA is a very dangerous game. We've kind of seen it recently, right? So yeah. does it rub me the wrong way? Uh, I'll say that, yeah. It does, but if you caught him and punish him, it's kind of like, well, now it's just my personal feelings and, you know, I'm going to try to leave that out of it to look at how the business works. Did they get him? Yes, they did. So I think that's just where we're at. Yep. Um, Big fights come forward in the Bantamweight division. It's certainly heating up as one of the best ones. When you look at that, just big four of, you know, Aljo, Peter, Corey, TJ, Rob now at number five. And then you have, you know, guys like Cody in there and it, it, Sean O'Malley, Chito Vera, a lot of people in the mix. So it makes for a very exciting division right now. Um, I think the big story coming out of it, uh, fun fights, but 
some of the judging. So I brought up the Miranda Maverick over Macy Barber. That was probably the biggest one out of the main event people talked about. Um, the Kyler Phillips one in the co-main. But then there was exciting stuff. Darren Elkins, you know, he almost got finished. Then he came back to finish the fight with pure damage. Loved it. So there were some question marks, but I think at the end of the night, it was a fun broadcast. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I think so. I think it was fun. And ultimately, at least for me, I was there for the main main. And, um, you know, even though you had all this talk about TJ and the punishment and all that stuff, I still, I got to tell you, man, when I heard the music, I was like, oh, TJ's coming out. Like, there's still something there. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but he's still a big star. And it's like, sometimes... I'm not going to say it doesn't matter what you do. I'm still on the side of, you know, I'm, sh- I'm shaking my, my, uh, you're, my head you're on again. the side of justice. Yes. Justice must be served. And I guess, as we said, it was, uh, but there's still something, uh, uh, you know, look, you can still root for the bad guy or get excited by the bad guy. It's almost like a WWF, WWE or whatever, you know? And so that's kind of where TJ Dillashaw is for me. He's like the, uh, the heel now. Uh, in any case, so so that was all to say that that was still the highlight for me, uh, the main fight. No, I, I agree. I I think it lived up. I think that you got a lot of just high level MMA out of it, and um, that's just it. I mean, that's what we tuned in for when we heard it was announced. So I'm with you there. Uh, MMA news. I think the big one. Let's just double back a little bit to Friday night. Rachel Ostovich routes Paige Van Zant for the unanimous decision in bare knuckle. You know, my only takeaway when I watched it, I was very impressed with Rachel's aggressiveness and her timing. She was just, she just was finding that opening for the overhand right. And it seemed like more often than not, when she would push forward, she would be able to get Paige to react and back up. It didn't seem like Paige had something to stop the onslaught. It didn't feel like Paige was able to get out of the way and counter. Um, it just felt like Paige, and, and I credit this to her boxing training. I think that she really did focus on, okay, you know, footwork, movement. But at the end of the day, she just never got this to face enough. And it's like, okay, am I in the right position? Are my feet in the right place? Am I, you know, am I doing this and setting this up? All of that, yes, 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 she's doing it. But she just, the volume wasn't there. The output wasn't there. She just really didn't touch Rachel enough. And to be honest, I was just shocked because I feel like for as much as she had to have digested that loss to Britain Hart early in the year, I was just surprised. I felt like Paige gave away a lot of rounds, just not throwing any punches. And I get it. It's bare knuckle. It's easy for me to say that. But you are saying you're stepping in to get the job done. And I just felt like that was still a winnable fight for Paige. We all said she was the better striker going in. I was just surprised. And I was, I was impressed by Rachel. Yeah, same. I was surprised. I think she was fighting afraid a little bit. Uh, uh, Rachel came out right away, strong, aggressive, and hit her with that overhand right. And I think it it turned something <laughs> off in Paige Van Zandt. Instead of making her go the other direction of, oh, I, I need revenge, I want to kill, she kind of backed up a little bit and retreated um, and was was fighting from a timid place. So it was very surprising, especially since she had a lot of making up to do for that first loss in her debut. 
I think you kind of want to just go berserker in this situation and say, even if I lose or get knocked out, like I got to show that I'm tough, that I can hang in here with the with the BKFC people. Um, but that never happened round after round. She had a couple of good shots. I mean, especially at the very end, which happened with Britton Hart too. She popped Rachel Osovich in the nose, some clean shots. You know, if we're talking about damage again, like with the Corey Dillashaw fight, Rachel Osovich looked a little bit more banged up. Um, but yeah, Paige Van Zandt just didn't show up. Rachel Ostevich was very impressive. I thought, okay, this is someone who's taking this really seriously. She's been training, boxing, bare knuckle, however you prepare for this, specifically like, you know, with or without gloves, majority of the time in training. She's been really working at this. She was sharp. She was fast. She was moving her feet, moving her head and pushing the pace, pressing Van Zandt. Uh, Paige was not moving her head. She was just, uh, if there was a game plan, it seemed that it, it left her, it left her mind and it was disappointing. Even at the end, if you, if you watch the body language, Dave Feldman seems to really congratulate Rachel, Rachel Ostevich and kind of just glide past Paige Van Zandt, you know, maybe a little disappointed in the investment that he made not paying off so far. I think there's one more fight left on her deal. I, I don't recall, but She's really got to do something here to to make this count. I mean, so I've thought about this. And one of the things that I took away from it is I felt like both women, essentially, uh, I'll say this. I, I think that while she hasn't been winning, I think that the Paige Van Zandt experiment has been working. I well, think yeah. that uh, Paige went out there to get paid. She's getting paid. If she doesn't win, then whatever bonus she gets for winning, that's on her, right? Okay. Um, I don't think there's controversy. I don't think that she's getting the bad end of judges' decisions. I think she's just very bluntly lost those two fights. Okay, you're still making more than probably most, probably all of the girls combined. All right. Um, bare knuckle. They're getting all the promotion. I mean, let's be honest. Are people talking about what's going on in bare knuckle when they're not fighting? No. I think that, you know, you tell me... Who fought for another bare knuckle event? Who is a main event in any other bare knuckle fight they've had this year besides Paige and Hart? Most mm, people probably can't. Crickets. Yeah. Yeah. You know, was Chris Lieben the main event of one? I don't know. I don't think Maybe. so. Probably. I think I know he was on it. I couldn't tell you. I know that there are guys there, Britton and Joey Beltran, but were they main event? Where were they? Most people couldn't tell you. Oh, I know Paige and Rachel are fighting. That was the whole point. That's why they cashed up, because she brings in viewers and attention. Okay. Going forward, uh, Feldman did kind of bring it up. He's doing the flyweight tournament, and you got Paige. I guess he only signed Rachel to a one-fight deal. And Rachel said in the post-fight, like, Hey, look, I'm, I'm, I can say I'm down, but at the end of the day, you got to talk to my manager. I think that she now ends up getting the good end of the stick, because... If they want to bring her in to bare knuckle, now they got to pay her more than I'm sure they did for this first fight is what I'm assuming. So I think that's good for Rachel. I'm sure they're going to make an offer. Is it the deal she wants? Who knows? But she's going to get an offer. Okay. They just re-signed Beck Rawlings. Queen of bare knuckle already. All right, cool. You got Britton Hart. I know the other girl, Taylor Starling. She won. She had a good fight too. I think that... uh. You got Pearl Gonzalez in there. A lot of those girls are so interchangeable because you could just put Rachel and Beck, Rachel and Pearl, Paige and Beck, Paige and Pearl. 
uh, it, it just works. And all four of those women, we talked about it, they kind of have something in common. They're building followings with the stuff. And they get it. So, is Paige Van Zandt going to... Is she going to main event over Rachel? If they do something, probably not. But she's still going to draw attention. Especially if you double up the women or triple them up for a tournament in one night. So I think that there's just a lot to really pull from going forward. But if you're bare knuckle, I think that you have... You set it up perfectly. Even though Paige loses, you got to win-win. Yeah, Dave Feldman knows what he's doing, right? The, the roster you just you just laid out there, that's that's bringing eyeballs for sure. And to say that they all get it is uh, is pretty pretty on the spot there. So, yeah, I'm going to keep tuning in too. I mean, Rachel looked really good, man, like better than I've ever seen her in MMA. So she's taking it seriously, and you know Britton Hart is, and Beck Rawlings obviously was, and will probably come back to do the same. So we, don't, we have real fighters here giving no. us a good show. I was going to say, I don't know if there actually are mean streets in Hawaii, but <laughs> Rachel fought like she was from them. Dude, big like, time. Like, she came out to kill Paige Van Zandt. Like, she wanted to destroy that, that image that she has, and she was not messing around. I was very I, impressed. I didn't know there were bad neighborhoods in Hawaii, but Rachel <laughs> fought like she was from them. She found one in her <laughs> deep reminds, within her heart. It reminds me of that classic Gabriel Iglesias sketch and he's talking about no one thinks you're hood when you're wearing a hawaiian shirt <laughs> it's like hey where are you from honolulu no one never thinks you're tough so no, when sir. rachel is like you know oh i'm from the mean streets of wanahi i'm like seriously <laughs> <laughs> so credit to rachel um did you see that clip they had the rappers doing the exhibition boxing not bare knuckle boxing just traditional and the guy he won the blue face so yeah that's where we're at in the broadcast yeah, yeah. but he had a fan run in and try to start a fight with him during his post-fight interview uh yeah very interesting the kind of thing that happens only at bkfc so yes <laughs> um well yeah i mean he landed some shots on him poor dave feldman was trying to break it up and uh i don't know how why it's so easy to just get in there <laughs> you know what that's a great question <laughs> Like, they had the incident after Paige and Britain. Yeah. By the way, so Britain was fighting the girl who I guess got into it with her at the Paige fight. Okay. And then you see them face off and, like, they're actually very cordial and, like, what's her name? Jenny Savage, I think it was. But, like, they're doing the face-offs at the press conference and Jenny is, like, trying to provocatively, like, rub her booty up against Britain. And I'm like, aren't y'all beefing? Like, I don't know how girls fight, but I'm pretty sure that you still can't get away with doing that. But... That's a new kind of beef. I never heard of that kind of beef. Right? But it mm. happened. There's video. So, <laughs> BKFC, man. Oh, and then, did you see about Tyron Woodley and Hector Lombard in the crowd? I, I didn't. No, I, I, like, I saw a headline, but I didn't look into yeah, it. Yeah, so, so like, they were kind of just jawing at each other, chest out, and... Hector Lombard, I guess, says on the catch the audio. It's like, remember when you were trying to sleep with my side chick? And I was like, wow, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just. I hope that was from a long time ago and not current. <laughs> yeah. Poor Valerie Letourneau. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I heard that and I'm like, seriously, bro? That's... I mean, it's. 
you don't get mad about someone going after your side chick. It's only the main chick. Yeah, this right. Is, this is street logic 101. <laughs> but anyway, that happened. Uh, we got some real MMA news. Um, so I think the one that came out, UFC 267, this one was actually probably the most intriguing. Um, essentially, uh, Ariel Hawani added more fuel to the fire. The Peter Jan Aljo's um, rematch is going to also take place on the October 30th card. So remember, it's co main to the rescheduled Jan Blahovich Glover Tashira fight for the 205 title. But. So this one's going to be in Abu Dhabi. I guess they have uh, confirmed that the November pay-per-view is actually going to take place a week later on November 6th. So this is going to be back-to-back numbers, 267 and 268. And they're going to have 267 early in the morning, uh, United States time. And because they're doubling up the pay-per-view, sorry, the numbered events... 267 with Blahovich and Aljo is going to be on free TV. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, free, free, like ESPN. ESPN Plus, yes. But I'm sure they'll be on ESPN too, to be honest. Okay, yeah, because if it's on like legitimate free, which is not really legitimate because you're still paying for cable, regular ESPN, that's great. Um, It would have been cooler if they'd done it on ABC uh, just to put a pay-per-view on ABC. Oh, that'd be good. That would have been great, but I guess, you know, but yeah, especially because it's during the day, like that's usually when they do the ABC ones, that would have been ideal, but okay. Uh, I love it. I'm happy to not have to pay for a pay-per-view, an extra one, especially with everybody having pay-per-views, you know, coming up and every time there's a UFC pay-per-view, there's always some other big one on the front or back end, like, you know, you had BKFC and all that stuff. So I'm excited anytime I have to pay less money to watch MMA. So this is a win-win for me. They've taken enough of my uh, of my of my cheese. I mean, they not just taking the cheese; they take the bread, you know. The bread, uh, so- the lettuce. <laughs> Someone did an article, and they're like, "How you know? How much does it cost to be an MMA fan?" And I was like, "You know, maybe I'm not a fan. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I will say like they had two pay per views in March, so." Yes, I like that it's on free TV. Like, I think of it, I remember what it's like paying for them as fans. So, um, they still got us for 12 in 2021. So, I'm going to just leave it at that. With with ESPN, right? They have to do their 12. So, yeah, but, um, I I will say this I think it's great exposure for Blahovich and Aljo and Pewter and Glover. Um, I think that it's just really all together. I hope that it's still a decent card because if you're going to do that, I hope you still treat it like a pay-per-view with good fights on the undercard too, not just the titles. So I think Amanda Hibas is going to be on that one. I think they're talking about that's the one with Hamza Chimaev coming back. So there's still good stuff going on on that card. But it kind of also leads to our next one. So if that's not a pay-per-view, what is? And they've essentially said, yes, that November 6th will be the Madison Square Garden pay-per-view. The only thing holding that up, and I don't need to bring this up, and I don't like to harp on it. Uh, the whole, is the state going to stay open? Delta variant. There's a Lambda variant now. I think they want a whole fraternity of COVID. That which one came is... out of Peru, too. I'm a little embarrassed about that one. I mean, uh, just like at this rate, it's like you're going to have a gamma and a zeta variant and I'm going to just be like, I'm going to 
turn well, off I'll be the dead TV. By the time the Zeta one comes out, I'm gonna turn off the TV. It's like no, I, I, don't get me wrong. I know it's serious. Please take care of yourselves. Wash the hands. Try not to breathe on too many people, just as a courtesy. But god dang, man, <laughs> you know. But the fact is, if things were to roll downhill, that could be what prevents the debut or the reintroduction in New York. But as of right now, the UFC is trying to hold firm to November 6th, Madison Square Garden. Main event, the rematch, Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington. Um, I know they're going to stack MSG if they keep it. Like, they're going to try to go two titles, three titles. What other champions do you hope they pair up with Usman? Is it too much to hope for a heavyweight title fight? Is that timing work out? I don't know. <laughs> Only if they get John Jones, because honestly, Derek Lewis or Cyril Gaon stepping up in October after they yeah. both just fought. Oh boy, this is tricky. Who's available? Flyweight? Maybe Brandon Moreno? I know is Brandon. Uh, talked to Brandon. He said he wants November. I could November. see that. With the piñata? What are going to do the piñata? <laughs> I think he should. I'm just saying. I mean, you're telling me your family makes piñatas. They have a company. And they don't have a party where they're ripping open piñatas that look like your opponents? Yeah, that that's kind of like that's like uh, no-brainer. Yes, it's like, you know, you could... Uh, I mean, you're Hispanic. Yeah, most man. Of, most of you have probably been to a party with a piñata with a Hispanic family. Yes, sir. What do they do? They hang it up on the rope and they take the stick. Dale, dale, dale. Yep. Spin around. If you're, if you're big, if you're too big to be playing with the piñata, they blindfold you and spin you around. If Brandon is fighting Figueredo, hey, the little kids busting open a piñata that looks like Figueredo. I mean, this is a freaking party. I don't yeah. think it's bad. I think it's funny. <laughs> We so he wants fake. November. <laughs> yes, sorry. I got it. No, no, no. Carried away. I brought it up. But um, yeah, um, I don't know. Like those those are the ones that come to mind first. I think, think who else I think is eligible. Rose, because I feel like they like Rose in New York. Because remember, she's built up that, you know, she had the two fights with Joanna yeah, in yeah. New York. So I think that they kind of like having Rose there. Plus her popularity. I mean, she's kind of like someone people really want to see after that knockout of Zhang Wei Li. So I feel like that's a good set of three. And I think they both, I think all three bring in different fan bases. Like I do think, like, yes, there's MMA fans as a whole, but I do think there are people who really do just really want to watch Moreno. I do think there are people who really want to see Rose. Um, Not as much as, let's say, a Conor McGregor. I'm not saying she has that kind of pull, but... I do think that they all three bring in individual numbers right now. And then when you talk about, you know, right now, Kamaru and Colby is kind of like Lakers Celtics. It doesn't matter when it happens, you know, it'll be good and you know, it'll be a classic rivalry. So I think as a set, they're just great. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's my prediction. December, I'm... I'm going to roll the dice and say they're saving that for Dustin and Charles. What are they going to do with Francis and Ganu? I don't know, but unfortunately, I feel like, you know, the Predator is going to be the odd man out who doesn't fight again in 2021 because I could see Nganu and Usman getting along and also Nganu Adesanya. 
like, oh, you know, like, yeah, I'll take a back seat because, you know, they're very vocal about their support for their fellow African champions. And yeah, so I think that'll work. But if you think about it, Adesanya Whitaker, that's a pay-per-view main event. Dustin Charles, that's a pay-per-view main event. There's just not enough pay-per-views. So unless people are willing to take a step back and lose a cut of the pie, I just don't see how they, you know, I just don't think they're going to be able to divide everyone fairly with the schedule right now. Yeah, that's uh, it gets tricky. With the bigger the champions get as far as star power, it gets trickier and trickier. Um, but but you talking about Nganu, Usman, and Adesanya, I mean, the day hopefully will come when they're all three on a card um, defending or fighting for a belt. That would be amazing. Oh, it's going to be good. Um, real quick before we move on, uh, Usman versus Covington 2. Any mm. thoughts on that? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it had to happen, and but, you know, Covington hasn't fought in so long that if I were him, I'd be a little nervous just for, you know, ring rust. Uh, but he is so um, polarizing, uh, provocative, that I, whenever he's going to fight, I always uh, look forward, I guess, is the only way to describe it, to the lead-up interviews and, and whatnot. Now, I can't maybe even get through a full Colby Covington interview because of the, the words that come out of his mouth, but it, it gets people fired up in either direction, you know, Usman, he he smoked him the first time, broke his jaw, and he has gotten only, you know, proceeded to get better. So I'm excited to see the fight. If I may be so biased as to say I'm looking forward to Usman beating him up again. But, uh, but you know, you, I don't know. Colby Covington is pretty darn good, too. So I'll just leave it at I'm, I'm pretty fired up to see this one. Stylistically, I think they're just two guys who, even if one guy were to win 10 in a row... I feel like all 10 fights would still be competitive and fantastic. I just think yeah, they're both yeah. stylistically and skill-wise at that level against each other. So they bring out the best in each other in the cage. Just no other way to say it. Um, I Had Leon Edwards gone out there and just like knocked out Nate Diaz, I could see an argument for Leon, but... I hate to say when the story of the fight was how epic it would it would have been if Nate pulled off the comeback. I think that says all you need to know. Yeah. It sadly just wasn't going to go to him over Colby at that point. Um, the next story, PFL announcing some major changes for 2022. The biggest one, they're going to be jumping into the pay-per-view business. Now, there's no price, number, or anything like that. But they did say that on top of the t- free TV fights, they're also going to have pay-per-view events so they you know he did say there are pay-per-view caliber fighters um he didn't specify how they work with the season format but peter murray the ceo did say that they are looking to grow the women's 155 division with quote major signings they're also going to have kind of like a contender series type of deal scout talent find talent that maybe does undercard if you're really good, maybe we're talking about a shot at the million in the tournament. So kind of like their own challenger series of sorts. And then finally, he did say that, yes, Anthony Pettis, Fabrizio Verdum, they will be back for the next season, even though they kind of had a disappointing 2021. And then the final note, the final is no longer going to be on New Year's Eve. It'll be a little earlier in the year, which I think is good. 
Right. I think it's smart also to not do it on New Year's Eve. Like, you know, there's too much if, other TV. Yeah, there's too much going on, period. Like either you're going out or you have people over or you just want to chill out and watch, you know, rock and roll Eve with Dick Clark, Ryan Seacrest, you know, whatever it is. Um, or you just want to do your own thing. Uh, that's too much. It's too too long of an event to, to put on yours. Okay, so that's good. Pay-per-view. Oh, boy. You know how I feel about this. Will I pay for it? Probably. Uh, but jeepers, does everyone have to jump on the pay-per-view bandwagon? And what's the reason? Like, do they really see a benefit? Or is it just like that's a sign of legitimacy within the, the market, MMA? Like, oh, we do pay-per-views now. Or, or combat sports, we do pay-per-views like the UFC, like Showtime. Um, I'm curious what the real, the real story is here and if they think it's going to be a success or are they just doing it to have it, you know, one more thing to add to the poster, one more thing to, to say, you know, for marketing purposes, I feel like you don't need it. I really do. Um, the other thing about the big signings, major signings at 155, I'm thinking who has out there to, to be a major signing for PFL at 155. There's not. Right. So is it, is Chris Cyborg's contract going to be up at Bellator and we don't know about it? And she's going to fight one fight? Like, that's the only person I can think of because who else is out there unless they're doing more Olympic athlete outreach? Um, but even then, I can't think of what female fighter would be, a uh, female athlete would be a, a big major signing, um, you know, as a transition to MMA besides who you already have, Kayla and Clarissa. Um, what do you think? Do you think? What do you think they're going to do? I don't know. I mean, I think Bella, we've seen Bellator try this and just stack a card and you do everything. You have, you know, Fedor and Chael versus Vanderlei and yeah. all their champions and good fights and all this Dylan Dennis and it still flops. Yep. And I hate to say, but um, I think that's why Triller has been so surprising is that they took very unlikely matchups and they've made a successful pay-per-view out of it um relatively speaking but the fact is i i think to myself okay would you pay to watch these fighters or this matchup if they were in ufc or something like that i hate to say it but probably not i mean uh okay kayla harrison who are you gonna have her fight honestly and put a price tag on it right i don't know if that's there besides amanda nunez right now respectfully so I, I don't know. I, I think that this is a big long-term play. I think they know they have a centerpiece and a big diamond in Kayla Harrison. I d feel like this is a play to kind of keep her because I think that she's essentially said, look, you know, I'm ready to break up with this boyfriend, but his dog just died, so I got to wait an appropriate amount of time before Jeez. I can go answer this other guy named UFC in my DMs. And Bellator is cute, and he's texting me too. You get what I mean? Yeah. I I feel like that's it, and I get it. Yes, Clarissa Shields is a fantastic talent in boxing, and yes, uh, Anthony Pettis is fun, and there are other guys that could still compete that we recognize. But I think that you kind of saw that. Are they worth the price tag at this point? Probably not. And you kind of feel like you've got to get either A, a big celebrity, and I'll just put it bluntly, like a Paul brother, like somebody with that kind of pull, or you got to have a fight with like the best of the best legitimately, which I think people feel like they get from the UFC for most of these pay-per-view main events. 
the fact that you have neither of those two ingredients really I just don't see how this could be a success so the only thing I could think of is they're doing it to kind of say Kayla you'll get pay-per-view points and we're offering you let's be honest Kayla probably won't get pay-per-view points unless she's a UFC champion PFL probably say Kayla you get a cut of the pie no matter where you're at that's the only thing I can imagine because anything else I feel like there's all the evidence in the world to say that it probably won't work out I think you're right <laughs> there's uh, no other way to put it yeah it's just um look I hope so if they pull a rabbit out of the hat I am looking forward to it I think that if they can honestly break through that would be the big biggest success PFL could have when you look at the landscape but I feel like we have all the evidence to know that it's probably not going to. So I'm very interested to see what their play is long term. Is it about keeping Harrison? Is it about something else? I don't know. But yeah, um, very interesting. Um, I think there's a lot more tension now in the playoffs because it's like, okay, who do we really have going into this new year where you're trying that? So that'll be it. Um, Real quick one. They just announced Douglas Lima, Michael Venom Page. October 1st in MVP's Backyard of London. I think it's going to be the first big event for Bellator across the pond since the pandemic. So that's all positive signs. Uh, you'll remember their first fight, 2019 Grand Prix semifinal. Douglas Lima with a knockout of the year candidate. Just he Masvidal's MVP. Uh, hands MVP his first loss. And they've really just kind of been on parallel paths ever since. Lima just lost the title. MVP, 5-5 win streak. Hasn't gone out of the second round. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm glad we're seeing the rematch because there was so much hype and excitement around the first uh, fight and then it ended the way it did where the, uh, sorry, where MVP didn't really get to show any of his razzle-dazzle. In fact, trying to razzle-dazzle is what got him knocked out. And so it made you question... How good is MVP? At least it made me question. You know, when you look at his opponents and all, you know, all the people that he's that he's beating, are they good enough to really say that this guy is great? Or, you know, has he really been tested? And real, the real test was against Legless Lima. It didn't go his way. What's he gonna do this time around? Is he gonna still try and be the MVP guy with his hands down and the, you know, jumping in and out? That's who he is, right? Is he gonna change? I doubt it. In which case, I also doubt he's going to be able to win. But we'll get into it come October. Um, in, in any case, five-fight win streak, that's enough to get you a title shot. You know, no doubt about it. And uh, so so this is, or not a title shot, but a rematch with someone who was a former champion. So this is a good one. This is great. Now, Douglas Lima, does he beat MVP and get a rematch with uh, Amosov? I don't know. Um, we'll see how that shakes out because it's a little bit of ways away. But in general, it's a good rematch. Yeah, I think that it's good. I think that this means Amosov's probably looking at a guy like Lorenz Larkin for the title, someone like that. So, yeah, I think that this is just, I think it's kind of like the fight that needs to happen for both of them. I think that there's this feeling that Douglas Lima, you know, he kind of, he kind of, reach that peak right like he might be experiencing that drop off with the type uh -huh. of performance he had against Amosov I think this is like hey did you just have a bad style matchup or could you be slowing down I think that's a good fight for him 
Then MVP, the main criticism, they want to see him fight someone, you know, quote, elite level. So I think it makes all the sense. I think the fact that they're putting it in MVP's backyard, um, I think that says everything you need to know. They're making this a showcase. I get it. I love Lima. I really do. MVP just kind of has that swag. I, You know Bellator would love for him to be a champion and be a star. So I think that this is not a coincidence. They are doing it on purpose to put him in his backyard. So there we go. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. The final bit of news, Invicta is also going to get into the pay-per-view business for their card. What date is that? August 27th, I believe. They're going to have two title fights. First one, former Bellator title challenger Emily Ducote um, will be fighting against Danielle Taylor, who is, by the way, also a Lancaster native and a police officer in my lovely community. So I want to always shout her out. And then for the Bantamweight title, Lisa Versosa taking on Contender Series alum Tanisha Tennant. And uh, yeah, um, Natalie, so 1999... Not exactly breaking the bank. For most people, it's about roughly a shift and a half of work under minimum wage. Um, here's my thing. Uh, and Invicta has been a great proving ground. It's developed a lot of young fighters, young female fighters. I think they've got a great system going from what they've done with their broadcast, how they've grown as a brand, their partnership with the UFC, all of that. When I think of a pay-per-view, no matter the price, I think about, well, you are paying for either something exciting, but it's always topped off by something, you know, there's always the centerpiece. I feel like Invicta isn't known, their brand has never been built on having the, um, the centerpiece. You are developing fighters into who could be the stars and the attractions of the UFC and a Bellator. And so when I think about Invicta doing a paywall, I, I'll be honest, I feel even worse than I do about PFL. It, just for that reason. I think that um, when you talk about a pay-per-view in today's market with all the UFC and boxing and Triller and all the other things people spend their money on, I just have a hard time seeing this be a success personally. What about you? Yeah, I want to see the research that justifies this decision because I, I also don't understand where they think, why they think this is going to be worthwhile, successful, beneficial to the brand. Uh, you know, $20, $19.99, that's a number I like. Wouldn't it be nice if all, all pay-per-views were $19.99 UFC? I'm looking at you. But, and so at that price point, you might think, well, okay, I'll, I'll give them 20 bucks once. But if they keep doing it, now you're asking a lot, especially if the first time around you're not getting a show that was much different than what you normally would have gotten through UFC Fight Pass. And now I guess I didn't know that they moved to Access TV. Um, so it's a head scratcher. Um, and I would just like to know more, like Shannon Knapp or whoever. I just wanted to, like, really would love for someone to do an interview where I could find out why why you really think this is a great idea is it just again it looks good on paper it's what everyone else does it's what the big boys do we want to look like the big boys or we've 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 done the research and there's a fan base that will pay and 
this makes sense for our business from from my perspective it doesn't seem i don't understand how it could but okay let's our favorite saying of the show let's wait and see i mean i feel like that's all sports really but <laughs> you know you're not wrong uh, i've heard this be said that and remember it's the all female promotion that the quote the fem- the women's mma fans they're a little more supportive than your standard MMA fans because sure. you they know going in what these women are building and doing, right? Which I totally get. So do I think that there are some hardcore supporters that want to see Invicta do well because they're fans of these athletes? Yes, absolutely. I also think these are the same fans who, if you are a big women's MMA fan, you're probably paying when... Amanda Nunes, Rose Nama Yunus, Valentina, Shevchenko, they're on the card for UFC. So I, I, I just think that the MM, you know, could it be that they feel like, hey, look, this is how much we make from standard commercials for Invicta. We're, our numbers are telling us that we'll probably get, even if it's just a 15% more money or 10% more money doing a pay-per-view. Because these are our numbers anyway. Maybe it's that simple. That's the only thing I could think it is. Because I, once again, I just... I go in understanding how much fans are asked to pay week in, week out. And, and I'll say this. I know they're probably out there. I have yet to meet a women's MMA-centric or focused like fan who is only focused on women's MMA like okay yeah I love it or I have the website for it I support it but I feel like I've yet to meet one that's like oh I only watch Invicta I don't watch UFC I know I know they're out there I've never met them (laughs) I feel like I have a hard time thinking of one I really do and so when you think about how if you're already targeting a hardcore fan base and now you are turning that into a sliver of the pie that you're targeting for your pay-per-view? <sighs> I don't know. I-, I look forward to seeing the numbers as well. Because I- if this is successful, then God bless them. But besides that, I really don't know. Yep. Yeah, but um, yeah. Uh, once again, uh, Danielle Taylor, local girl, good luck. Taking on Emily Dakota. And then obviously for the Bantamweight title, looks like we got a good one. So good stuff all around. Um, this is going to be the rare week. Bellator takes the driver's seat. UFC, by all accounts, they have the B card. Bellator has the A card. So we're going to start with UFC and finish with Bellator. And they have a middleweight main event in UFC. UFC Vegas 33. Uriah Hall taking on Sean Strickland. Um, quite simply, you have a very technical, dynamic striker against a bruiser and very tall and long athlete himself in Strickland. A lot of guaranteed face punching, a lot of violence, a lot of bruises, probably some blood. There's a lot to love stylistically, but ultimately only one can win. Who do you got? Well, I actually am going to go with Uriah Hall. I know he's sort of been, you know, his career has been an interesting one to watch coming off of tough. But if we remember, his last fight was against Chris Weidman, and I don't think... I don't think he threw a single punch before poor Chris Weidman broke his leg um, with that kick. So I think Uriah Hall is probably chomping at the bit to actually have a fight, not just get to the cage and then have to, you know, 
be traumatized like everybody else was. So uh, my pick is Uri Hall. I think we're going to see classic Uri Hall. He's got those great spinning back kicks. He's composed. He's a veteran now. He knows how to pick his shots, how to figure out his opponent. He's got all, everything you need to, to do something spectacular. I think that's what he needs. And so my pick is uh, Uriah Hall TKO round three. You know, I think that for me, uh, I think Strickland actually has that magic bullet for Uriah on the feet. I think that um, his durability, uh, I get it, he's been out a while, and at welterweight, he kind of had setbacks against elite guys, you know. Um, I believe just the only people who beat him were Kamaru, uh, Eliju, Zaleski Dos Santos, who's a top contender, and Santiago Ponzinibbio before he got sick. So I think that at middleweight, Sean actually is a little more powerful. I think that uh, he talked about how he's worked with Uriah Hall. And I think that although Uriah, if he could maintain that distance, he could get the job done. I think that Strickland really does have that style to be able to walk him down and wear him down. It's going to be a debilitating kind of fight. I do think that Uriah is going to be dangerous early. But I do think that Strickland, at the end of the day, he's just going to kind of wear him down. So I'm going to flip it and I'm going to go, I'm going to raise you a third round TKO Sean Strickland. Oh. Zamudio. Okay. But yeah, um, I think Uriah dangerous early, but Sean Strickland eventually starts to wear him down with the kicks and the target the body, don't target the head. And I think you could wear him down. Okay. You know, straightforward. And now here we are. Finally, is here. <laughs> Pitbull, McKee. You have the longtime featherweight champion against the next generation. I've said it. He is the most talented prospect we have ever seen since John Jones at 23 years old won the UFC title. AJ McKee, um, Pitbull, double champion. He has had as good of a last about three years as any fighter in MMA. AJ McKee, built from the bottom, now he's here. 17-0 in Bellator, developed, and now it's time to see if the souffle is ready to pop out of the oven. What are your thoughts on the fight? You know, <laughs> oh, the souffle. Um, Pitbull is a scary dude. I almost said scary little dude, but <laughs> he's a scary dude. I mean, he's often shorter than his opponents, but he's stocky, strong, aggressive. He's just like walking around with the killer, you know, the killer instinct on his face. Like you just, you just know, like, don't mess with that guy. It doesn't matter, period. Just don't mess with him. And because of that, and because of how he, we've seen him handle his opponents in the past, I mean, most notably Michael Chandler, like I think AJ McKee for all his special, special talents for the record that he has, for being the the, the built-up star in, in Bellator. I think Bell, uh, Pitbull is just mentally the tougher fighter. And, you know, you, you've seen already that he's he's kind of pissed off. He, he doesn't like that AJ and his dad have been talking smack, and that is really burning him up. And so I think sometimes when you think about, like, a Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor, when the when the, the the trash talk gets in their head, you never know how it's gonna go. But with Pitbull, I feel like you're always sure how it's gonna go. Like it's never gonna make him act irrationally in the cage. It's never gonna make him, you know, fight with too much emotion. It almost steadies him, and so as a result, um, 
I think AJ is going to have a heck of a fight in front of him. I'll, I'll toss it back to you before I give you my pick. But I think you can kind of tell where I'm leaning anyway. Yeah, I think that um, this is really going to be a big test of just how good AJ can be against a guy who physically has all the tools and stylistically is probably the best that by a mile that he's ever taken on. And look, Pitbull's got it. He, he's good on the ground. He's explosive. He's powerful. I think the one thing he doesn't have is height. He's a very compact guy, but he's made that work for him. He's got that karate stance. He controls the distance. He makes it work for him. He's very good at avoiding taking a lot of damage in these last three years. Um, he's just very a very complete fighter who's at the top of his game right now. AJ McKee has about all the physical attributes you could possibly want. He's tall. He's long. He's absurdly fast for featherweight. Mm-hmm. He just has those fast twitch muscles like... I feel like young Jose Aldo is the only guy who's come close athletically. Like, yes, there are other guys, well-conditioned, strong, built. But I feel like AJ has that speed. Like when we used to see young Jose Aldo just destroying guys in the WEC. That's who AJ reminds me of physically. He's probably a little taller, if I'm being honest, and a little bit more muscular. I do think that what it comes down to is... How does AJ do when he cannot spin, when he cannot overwhelm you? Because I think that's the big thing is that if he tries to do a lot of that, you have a powerhouse in Pitbull who could really run him over. So if you start spinning, think TJ versus Corey, that could really go downhill for you quickly against a guy like Pitbull who's ready for you. Now, very well-rounded. He could wrestle. He's actually very decent off of his back, which I think is his most underrated quality. I think that's it. You got to be very multifaceted. You got to attack with a lot of weapons because the last thing you want to do is get into a patient wait for Pitbull because then he's able to, you know, the champ use his explosiveness, chop away at the kicks, set up his stuff, work the body, go to the head. You don't want Pitbull to feel like he could do that. You want to make Pitbull feel like he can only try to attack you one big shot at the time at a time or try to rush you. So I think that that's it. I think that a patient McKee got to be careful. But I think if he can start to pick him apart from the outside with his range, we have a very interesting fight on our hands. So that's what it's going to come down to. Uh, go ahead and hit me with your prediction. Okay, uh, Patricio Pitbull, you said powerhouse, and that's that's the key word for me here. I like that. Uh, so I think he's going to do a TKO of AJ McKee in round two. Oof. You think that he's just going to be able you think that he's just going to kind of overpower a lot of the stuff AJ does out there kind of deal? Yes, a little bit. I think mostly what's going to happen is that he's just going to find an opening and he's going to throw that big right hand and crack him and that's going to be it. I think it's not not I wouldn't say a lucky shot, but I think he's going to find a place for that and and that's what's going to happen. It's going to be early. Pitbull doesn't want to mess around. He wants to finish it and make a statement. I think the thing about Pitbull for me cuz I'm going with McKee um, I, I want a long fight, but I feel like either way it ends quickly, whether it's Pitbull or AJ. But okay. I'm going to go AJ just for the simple fact that I think that compared to many of the guys that Pitbull has fought, AJ is not only taller and bigger, he is faster. I think even though Emmanuel Sanchez had the height, Chandler had height, I don't think either of them was as fast 
And quite simply, I think that uh, AJ is very underrated in his ability to mix everything. I think that if AJ, you know, keeps the spins to a minimum, just sets up his shots, I think that he could run away with it and he can just kind of overwhelm Pitbull with the physicality. Because I do think he knows, don't just stand there and let this, you know, literally Pitbull come and run him and corral him against the fence. I think all of that is going to bode well for Pitbull. I think AJ, stay out of those positions, work your range. I don't think Pitbull is going to be able to handle the physicality when he's up against someone who can actually move the way AJ does with the power he does. So I'm going to go AJ. You know what? Second round submission. I think he wants to get him to the mat, just similar to Caldwell and, you know, really just overwhelm him and set up that finish. All right. So I'm going to go AJ. I'm going to go rear naked choke just for the okay. bonus point. So <laughs> there we are. We are split. We have uh, Natalie has Uriah Hall and Pitbull for this week's headliners. I have Sean Strickland and AJ McKee. So one of us will get double the bragging rights double. next week. And of course, can you believe it? We're already back at a pay-per-view. We have the interim heavyweight title. And the women's bantamweight title. So we have Derek Lewis against Cyril Gaon. And then we have Amanda Nunes taking on Juliana Pena. What are your thoughts as we head into next week? I can't believe we're having a heavyweight title fight in the UFC without Francis Ngannou. That's still, that's still like a little bit mind-blowing to me. But in any case, Derek Lewis in Houston, that's going to be a blast. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, I think that um, Derek Lewis becomes not the monster waiting in the wings, but the black beast waiting in the wings for Francis. Yeah. Or Cyril Gaon has one heck of a breakout party. Because he's, yeah. he's had a sleeper um, campaign in 2021 so far. And then anytime you get to see an Amanda Nunes compete, I think that's a treat. Obviously, it's going to be, you know, Rocky versus Apollo Creed for Juliana Pena. But I think it's really about the talent you get to see when you have an Amanda Nunes. Not necessarily the big personality and other stuff that you might be attracted to from other stars. So... I think that's good in that way. By the way, Jose Aldo on the undercard. You know, anytime you see him compete, it's a good one. So there we are, guys. We will be back next week to break down everything, talk about the latest in news. So until then, take care. Enjoy the fights.